0: No, it's the police department! You know you're in an accident. We need to make sure that you're okay. Have
1: you had anything to drink today? Yeah, a little bit. I got my first I got my first at 18. I got my second 19.
0: Well, am I being released right really or what?
1: Well we gotta see what uh what kind of history you have. Well, I got drunk driving. Uh the fourth is at 20. Get them sixth at 21. I just got arrested for f***ing old guy I sleep in my f***ing truck. They're not being deterred from their behavior whatsoever. 8 the 29,
0: 9 that 34. If you're leaving people out after six months, uh, or eight months, or ten months, after they've offended seven times, uh, I'm not so sure that they're going to get the message. I would say it's not the way the system should work, in my opinion. Driving drunk in Wisconsin is not a crime until you get caught twice. It's not a felony until your fourth offense. But get caught operating while intoxicated seven times? You're supposed to serve some serious prison time. So why are some of the Badger State's most persistent drunk drivers getting out of prison after serving just a fraction of their sentence? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with my colleague Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda.
1: Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, June 11th. And today we are going to talk about a conflict between two state laws that is allowing dozens of chronic drunk drivers to go free long before they were supposed to. So, Brian, how did you start looking into
0: this story? Well, I've been covering the issue of drunk driving in Wisconsin for a long, long time. So I'm very familiar with the evolution of laws here. But in this particular case, it actually started with a judge who reached out to Fox 6 News, Judge David Borowski, Milwaukee County, because he is seeing right from the bench what's happening to some of these seven, eight and nine time offenders or more who are accumulating a huge number of drunk driving offenses, but still getting out of prison early, even after they've been given a fairly substantial prison sentence.
1: And this is a judge who is known for being, quote, tough on crime, but it's pretty rare for us to hear from a judge in an
0: interview. It's rare for a judge to reach out and want to talk about something, which really underscores just how uh, much of a problem he views this to be. Judges typically say what they have to say from the bench in individual cases, but they are encouraged when there are uh, issues that educate the public that aren't specific to one case to speak out and to talk. And in this case, Judge Borowski said this is a problem he thinks deserves public attention. And, And the concern here is... We've heard for so many years that Wisconsin has a huge problem with drunk driving, and and we have a reputation nationwide for being one of the drunkest states in America. So none of that's a surprise. Uh, But in this case, what you have is repeated efforts by the legislature to crack down on these severe drunk drivers, those who just keep going through the system again and again and again. And in spite of those repeated efforts to change and refine the law to make it clear that those persistent drunk drivers should serve significant prison time. Things keep cropping up. Loopholes keep appearing that allow these drunk drivers to get out early. And I'm not just talking a little bit early. We're talking very, very early.
1: So in this case, what was the loophole?
0: Well, so what you have is, to to step back for a moment, you look at the fact that we're talking about drunk drivers who've committed at least seven OWI offenses, been convicted at least seven times, and many of them eight, nine, ten times or more. In state law, if you go back 10 years to 2010, uh, it was actually the 2009 legislative session, uh, there was a whole series of drunk driving bills that were passed and they cracked down on all sorts of things related to the way we deal with drunk drivers, uh, requiring ignition interlocks uh, early on and uh, and then extending sentences for repeat offenders. That particular series of bills included one that made it a three-year mandatory minimum sentence for a drunk driver uh, who's been convicted seven times or more. And again, that was a, a decade ago. But A short time after that, in 2011, I believe it was, there was a Wisconsin Court of Appeals case that found that the way the language of that law was written didn't actually make it mandatory. Judges were allowed to uh, work around that a little bit depending on how they worded their sentence. And in many cases, they were still putting some of these chronic offenders on probation. So State Representative Jim Ott went back in 2013 And he cleaned up that legislation and made it very clear that the intention was that this was a mandatory minimum sentence of three years in prison. So he thought he'd fix the loophole, but fast forward now to 2020. And well, even within the past couple of years, 2018, 2019, and we find the Department of Corrections is releasing many of these offenders. They're getting that mandatory sentence of three years in prison or for a 10th offense, a mandatory minimum of four years in prison. They get the sentence imposed, but then once they're in prison, there's another law called the earned release program, or that created something called the earned release program. And that allows prisoners to work toward getting early release by taking part in something like a substance abuse program. In the case of chronic offenders, a substance abuse program obviously makes sense, chronic drunk drivers that is, but that program may only be a 10 or 12 week program. And if you go back, you know, not too long into the past, just a few years ago, there was a pretty considerable wait list to get into a program like that. So for an offender to be sentenced to three years in prison, They may not even be eligible to get into the program until they'd served a couple of years. So any sort of early release might only be a matter of just a few months. And that wouldn't probably raise much attention from judges who had sentenced someone to three years in prison. What's happening though is that wait list has dwindled. And for a variety of reasons, uh, COVID-19 is only adding to that, but this predates COVID-19. That wait list seems to have dwindled and some of these chronic drunk drivers are getting into substance abuse programs in prison almost as soon as they check in and are, are, are taken through the intake process. So within a matter of maybe just a couple of months, they're already in a substance abuse treatment program. They complete the 10 or 12 or 16 week program. And then according to the law, judges are required to release them if they've completed. So the Department of Corrections writes a letter. They say, Judge so-and-so, this offender has completed that mandatory or has completed their, their uh, earned release program Please release them and convert the rest of their sentence to extended supervision. So what you have is these severe drunk drivers who are there for a seventh, eighth or ninth time who are getting out of prison in sometimes just six or eight or 10 months rather than three or four years.
1: Now, I would imagine there are criminal justice reform advocates who say, look, we want to get people treatment. That should be the goal. And a lot of those advocates we've spoken to over the years take issue with how long people sit in the prison system. It's expensive. And there are, of course, racial disparities in in that sense. But I, th- I thought it was interesting, Brian, that most of these people getting out early are middle aged white guys.
0: Well, and that tends to be the case is what you find that that's the general populace of seven, eight, nine, ten time drunk drivers in the state they tend to be 40s, 50s, 60s years old, mostly men and mostly white. So you have a lot of white middle-aged men who are seven, eight, 9, 10 time drunk drivers in Wisconsin, and those tend to be the ones that are getting into these programs early and getting out of prison early. Judge Borowski raised that point in the interview with me. He said he's concerned about whether or not these severe drunk drivers are actually maybe getting into the substance abuse program ahead of other offenders who are in prison for other substance abuse issues, maybe possession of drugs or dealing drugs, whose whose demographic makeup might be a little bit different. So he raised the question of, could this be a case where a bunch of middle-aged white guys, effectively, are leapfrogging over other inmates who are waiting to get in? Now, the Department of Corrections says that everyone's treated the same in that regard, uh, and they have some eligibility criteria. But one of those eligibility criteria has to do with the risk level of an offender. And I I think I I didn't get to put this in the story that was on the air or that's right now on the web in the broadcast version. But seven, eight, nine-time drunk drivers are, comparatively speaking, considered to be relatively low risk offenders, unless they're uh, OWI's involved injuries or, or something like that. Um, but by and large, just getting caught driving drunk, even if you've done it again and again and again, in terms of the way the state's probation and parole risk scoring is calculated, they're fairly low risk offenders, which does put them toward the front of the line for getting into a substance abuse program. The question is, after you've offended that many times and served by then, usually multiple stints in prison, is a 10 or 12 week program really going to be the thing that cracks you know your, your habit and makes the difference? And Judge Borowski says he just doesn't think it's sensible to believe that a 12 week program is going to change a lifetime of dangerous behavior.
1: I know that uh, Representative Jim Ott said the, the reasoning behind the mandatory minimum was he wanted to deter the behavior. Is there any evidence that those kinds of mandatory minimums do deter behavior or that when someone does sit in in prison for longer, that they're less likely to go out and reoffend than they are if they go through a program? I know I'm putting you on the spot here with something that kind of goes outside the scope of your investigation.
0: No, it's a good question, though, because it really is one of the ultimate questions is is if you have a, a three year mandatory sentence hanging over an offender's head. And, and as, as Representative Ott put it, he said he wanted people to think after their sixth offense, hey, next time is serious. I've really got to clean up my actor. I'm going to serve three years in prison. Maybe they only sat for five or six months after their sixth offense. He thought that substantial jump would be a deterrent. I don't know that there's any evidence. Uh, I certainly haven't seen the research that suggests that's specifically made a difference, but he did say there's another. Uh, side of this, which is if it doesn't have a deterrent effect, by that point, at the very least, what you've done is you've accomplished getting them off the road for three years. And if nothing else, that protects the public from that individual for three years. Because remember, these aren't just people who have an alcohol problem. They do. They clearly have a problem. They have a substance abuse issue. Their problem, though, is not limited to alcohol. Their problem is limited or, or, or is, is actually the fact that they have this substance abuse issue and they keep getting behind the wheel. One of the things I didn't include in the story because I didn't have time, Paul Ruppel, one of the people we featured, seven offenses. His sixth offense occurred uh, when someone in his apartment complex called police because they saw that he was stumbling drunk and was in his car using balloons and a portable air compressor to try to defeat his ignition interlock device. Police responded, they found him not just drunk, they found him absolutely obliterated. His blood alcohol concentration was something like 0.32, which even for someone who's never been uh, caught before would be something like four times the legal limit for intoxication. Four times, now for a repeat drunk driver, for a chronic drunk driver, I think after you've had three, the limit is 0.02. So that's 16 times the legal limit. He was trying to start his car with a balloon when he was 16 times his legal limit for intoxication, four times the the usual limit. So whether or not this this isn't just about an alcohol problem, this is about a persistent desire to keep driving a motor vehicle with that. So when I've talked to Representative Ott, he does talk about deterrence, but he also points out that if it doesn't have that deterrent effect, if nothing else, this might be the only way to get some of these people off the road for a few years. And perhaps after three years in prison, maybe they've been dry long enough that there's a chance that this kind of stuff could stick. But his take is you put someone in for three, four, six, eight months, even if they've gone through treatment, After that kind of a lifetime of history, it's not likely that they are going to get the message.
1: So we have people who are getting out of prison a a lot earlier than the judges who sentenced them, wanted them to get out. Do we know what they're doing once they're out? Are they reoffending? Is it still too early to tell?
0: Well, it's to say specifically whether these seven, eight and nine time offenders who get out early reoffend more than those who serve their complete minimum sentence. That's not research I've seen. It's not research I've had time to do. It's a good thing for us to follow. It's something for us to look at. Just getting this data was actually quite a bit of work because there's no real easy way to track what happens to seven, eight and nine time, 10 time drunk drivers. What we did is we took a year's worth of data. And again, this started with a judge reaching out to us about a handful of cases. Um, just just three or four cases that he and another judge had encountered since last fall that they said you know enough is enough, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we wanted to see how often is this happening. So I took a snapshot in time, the year 2018, and even within that, we had to go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of drunk driving cases to find just the seven, eight, nine, and ten time offenders and beyond. And from there, had to review each and every one of their individual sentences to see were they released early. First of all, did they get the mandatory minimum sentence? And they all did. So you were talking roughly 200 drivers in the year 2018 in Wisconsin who were uh, at least that many. That's These are the ones we found. At least 200 drivers in that one year were convicted of their seventh offense or more. So it's been less than two years. Now you think if these are people who were... Uh, charged in 2018, many weren't convicted until just last year. So theoretically, they shouldn't be getting out of prison until 2021 or 22 at the earliest. But yet we found 43 of them have already been released under this uh, earned release program. So these are people who many of whom got out in six, eight, 10 months. And again, we had to go case by case to find that. That alone is really no one else has looked at it this way. What we're seeing is a a pattern of these severe offenders who, there's no question Representative Ott intended for them to serve three years because he went back to, to the legislature in 2013 to clean up the law after an appeals decision raised questions about whether or not it was in fact mandatory. He went back to try to ensure that these drivers were spending three years in prison, and even now he's finding and we're finding that many of them don't.
1: I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of the episode, which is that Wisconsin has the reputation for being one of the worst states when it comes to drinking and specifically drunk driving. Why is that? And and how does Wisconsin compare to other states? I was surprised when I first moved here at the way uh, first offense OWI is treated.
0: And really, that's probably the thing that's most stood out uh, in terms of how Wisconsin compares legally to other states. It's well known, it's not a secret that Wisconsin is the only state out of all 50 states that treats the first offense as a civil violation, essentially a traffic ticket, an expensive one, one that really affects your insurance. It's not that it doesn't have negative consequences, but it is not a criminal offense, and we're the only state that it is that way. So is that what contributes to it here, or is the culture here, or is the culture what has resulted in the law remaining what it is? I think many would argue that Wisconsin just has a heavy drinking culture. Obviously, you know, Milwaukee is a brewing a brewing town, a long and proud brewing history. We have a powerful tavern league here in Wisconsin that is influential all across the state in representing bar owners and, and protecting bar owners and patrons uh, from the consequences of excessive drinking. Um, so in particularly of drinking and driving. So in and, and the Tavern League in particular has been adamant about blocking any attempts to make the first offense a criminal offense. And there have been attempts. There's been legislation introduced I think it's five of the last six legislative sessions to try to criminalize the first offense in Wisconsin. And every time that happens, it's uh, it's a non-starter. It's immediately beaten back, not just by the Tavern League, but they're one of the more powerful influences behind the scenes. There are others who say that they just don't think that's the way to go. So that certainly contributes to our comparison to other states. But when I first moved here, And I'm from Missouri originally. I've now lived in Wisconsin for 16 years. But when I first came here in 2004, uh, laws weren't nearly as strict as they are now. While the first offense wasn't a crime, it wasn't even a felony until your fifth offense. And many of those five, six, seven-time offenders still didn't serve any prison time. They would get uh, brief local jail sentences or probation. People were being ordered to get ignition interlock devices on their third or fourth offense, and they weren't installing them, and no one was following up to make sure they did. So we've done story after story over the years to, to try to show that things that are designed to try to prevent chronic drunk driving weren't even really being applied, even if they were in the law, and there, was a lot, there were a lot of loopholes in the law. So over time... Year after year, the legislature seems to be clamping down on this issue, and we've seen some results of that. If you look at Mothers Against Drunk Driving, it will do state-by-state rankings. Wisconsin used to always, year after year, rank dead last in, in many of the categories that they evaluate. We're no longer dead last. I think Wisconsin has taken some steps that have moved us up the, the chain a little bit in terms of how we deal with drunk driving, but we're still toward the bottom. Uh, and and uh, again, so much of that just comes back to the drinking culture of the state. But when you match a drinking culture with laws that don't take drinking and driving seriously, you have a recipe for disaster.
1: Well, and that was my next question for you. So over the years, we've seen uh, efforts to crack down on that from the the legal aspect of it when it comes to your um, typical criminal justice type punishments and if we're seeing that move the needle a little bit but not as much as we'd like to it, it makes me wonder if there are more creative solutions that people are trying to do or have tried and maybe they didn't work or you know want to try and know that it, it's it's not going to get Pass the legislature.
0: Well, there and, you know, as time goes on, there are many things that that change just in terms of society. I mean, we now live in an age where many more people take Uber or or, uh, you know, ride sharing services so they don't have to drive wherever they go. But then again, you get to outstate Wisconsin and uh, and life's a little uh, more the old school way. You don't have a lot of Uber in, in small rural communities. But uh, but you do see in urban areas, at least more people who are not drinking and driving because they're taking that ride, uh, you know, that someone else is offering them or paying for that ride. So that has changed things, I think, a little bit. Um, We have seen over the years the number of drunk driving fatalities in the state go down consistently. Uh, When I was first doing these stories, I believe there were often more than 400 people a year killed in drunk driving crashes. Now it's closer to 200 or even maybe a little bit under 200. That's a pretty significant dent. Those are, you know, a couple hundred people a year who are still alive because of changes in the way Wisconsin deals with drunk driving. So it's been an improvement. But one of the areas that there's always been legislative agreement on from both sides of the aisle has been dealing with repeat offenders. The, the most controversial thing in Wisconsin has been what to do about that first offense.
1: To be clear, when we're talking about criminalizing the first offense, that doesn't mean your first offense, you go to prison for a year, right? Like other states Absolutely. where the no. first offense is criminalized, A lot of times you still are able to get it off your record if you follow steps A, B, and C. It just it means you're appearing before a judge. It's not just a ticket where you you mail in the check.
0: Well, and advocates of criminalizing the first offense here have tried to make it more palatable by offering things like Uh, expungement provisions, where if you don't get another drunk driving offense within five years of that first offense, then that criminal offense can be wiped from your record. But of course, you still have a criminal record for five years. And there are many people in the state. And and again, the Tavern League and the Restaurant Association are are vehement uh, opponents to this. And they've spoken out on it many times. Their fear is in a state where we strongly encourage or the culture strongly encourages having a couple of drinks with a fish fry, having a glass of wine with dinner. They fear that if you hold the, label of criminal over everybody's head, people who are otherwise law-abiding citizens that, uh, that would deter otherwise lawful behavior. That's their argument. I'm not making it, but that's one I've heard many, many times. So there, there's just simply not the political will here to go that direction. But you're right. Even if the first offense were criminalized here, it wouldn't mean you'd go you know, spending significant time in jail or prison because we're finding people who are getting two, three, four offenses who hardly spend any time in jail at all. And here, look at this: seven, eight, nine-time offenders who get, you know, six months, eight months in prison, and they're back out. Um, so, but, but as I said, there is has long been agreement on dealing with repeat offenders harshly. So when Representative Ott, who's a, a former television personality himself, but he, you know, he, he's well known, he's, he's charismatic and influential, people remember him as being a meteorologist here in Milwaukee for many years. Um, he's been in the legislature now for quite some time. And this has really been one of his pet issues uh, because he personally was a witness to a drunk driving fatality, uh, something he doesn't talk much about, but which I interviewed him for last year. Um, he, he watched a friend get mowed down by a drunk driver many, many years ago, uh, back when he was in either high school or college, uh, and it stuck with him. And so it's been one of his missions to try to clean up Wisconsin's drunk driving laws to, to, to toughen them up and try to get people off the road when they've had too much drink. He's found success in going after repeat offenders because there aren't really many people politically who say we shouldn't. In fact, the, the, the Tavern League, which is vehemently against criminalizing the first offense, has long said we should focus on repeat offenders. So this is one of those issues where there's broad agreement that repeat, especially severe repeat offenders, should be dealt with harshly. And yet every time he goes back to try to just ensure they're gonna spend three years in prison, something comes up where we find out they're not. And and this is one that, again, was a surprise to Representative Ott when I told him about our research. And he immediately said he intends to go back the next legislative session to try to clean this up again and make sure that the earned release program is something that these offenders are not eligible for, at least, for instance, until they've served a couple of years of their sentence. When I talked to him, he said, if you've got someone who's sentenced to a three-year minimum, and two years, two years, three months into that sentence, they get into a program. And at two years, six months, two years, nine months, they can get out early. There's an incentive there that's still worth giving them to go through that treatment program because treatment's good, because treatment's something we want offenders like this to do, he says. But then you're only talking about releasing them a few months early, as opposed to literally two, two and a half years early.
1: What does the Department of Corrections have to say about all this?
0: I asked them for an interview. They declined to do an interview. They did provide me with data and quite a bit of data, in fact. And and they they indicated that there was no, uh, you know, leapfrogging of these offenders, but that they did indicate their risk scoring plays a factor um, in, in whether or not they get into a treatment program right away. And there are roughly 1800, 1900 prison inmates across the state every year that participate in earned release. Now, only a small percentage of those are these uh, offenders with seven or more drunk driving convictions, but there are a couple of hundred a year that participate in this program. Now, again, through our research and the the, the methodology we went using advanced searches of uh, the online court system, CCAP, uh, we identified 43 who've already been released from 2018. If there are 180 of these offenders in the program who are these seven time offenders in a given year, most people who go through these treatment programs graduate. So that probably means we've undercounted severely how many people are being released early from a, a three or four year mandatory minimum sentence. So there are quite a number of people that are going through this. Again, they're getting the treatment. The question is, if they're getting it that early, are they really serving a substantial prison sentence as intended? And is it enough to ensure they're not going to drive again? Some of that is, is, is stuff will... We don't know what it means in terms of recidivism, but when you're talking about people who've already offended seven, eight, nine times, they've been through this before and they've proven that they keep coming back.
1: I was going to say, as a reporter who's been following this for several years, then what are your next steps? What are you looking at next and keeping your eye on?
0: Well, one thing we haven't talked about even right here in this podcast was the whole reason, uh, one of the big reasons that Judge Borowski came forward was not just this problem, but that he and one other judge, Christopher D., have taken the action of, uh, the unusual action, of denying some of the Department of Corrections requests for early release under the early er, earned release program. And so four repeat drunk drivers with seven offenses or more have had their early release denied by both Judges Borowski and Judge D. And th- those weren't they were not, in those cases, I believe they were not the original sentencing judges. Um but what happens is the original sentencing judge has to make a person eligible for the Earn Release program. And if they are eligible, then the Department of Corrections will determine when they can be allowed in the program and once they've completed it, they write the judge and say, please let them out. In this case, Judge Borowski or in these cases, Borowski and D, were the judges receiving the request for release. They were not the original sentencing judges and they denied that release. Three of those four offenders who had that release denied have now appealed because again, the earned release program, the law that created it says judges shall release them once the Department of Correction notifies them that the program's been completed. So the one law says the judges have to release them, but according to Judge Borowski, the other law says they have to serve a three year sentence. So he's essentially taking a stand and going to allow the Court of Appeals to decide which law supersedes the other. His argument as a judge is that the legislature passed the mandatory minimum law after the earned release program was created. They could have made an exception for earned release if they'd chosen to and didn't. Um, The uh, attorneys that are fighting on behalf of the offenders who've been denied say, look, you can have both things be true at the same time. The judge imposed a three-year sentence as required in the law, but the judge still has to release them as required by law once they've completed the program. So the appeals court will decide this, but I think Judge Borowski sees the writing on the wall, which is probably why he reached out in the first place. And that is, based on the way the laws are written, it may well be that the court determines, the appeals court determines, earned release is still required. And if so, It takes an act of the legislature to go back in and clarify, even with the earned release program, you've got to serve at least three years. One of the things Representative Ott is uh, considering, and some judges are already doing this, is when they make an offender eligible for earned release, they say you're eligible, but you can't start the program until you've served at least, say, two years of your three-year sentence. Um, and, and when judges do that, the Department of Correction says, we honor that. That's what's in the sentence. But if there is no, uh, no notation like that in the sentence, then they'll let them in as soon as possible. So going forward, the real question is, what will the appeals court do with these cases that where, where offenders have been denied early release? Will that have an impact on these other cases? And, and what will happen if, if Representative Ott goes back to the legislature and says, let's tighten this thing up again? I think based on past history, you, you would see fairly broad support for it. The question is, how quickly can that happen? The next legislative session, uh, you know, by the time you get through that whole process, it could be another year or two before anything takes place. And there are quite a number of people currently going through the earn release program with seven or more offenses.
1: Yeah, a, a year or two if it moves quickly.
0: <laughs> if it moves, right, exactly, if it moves quickly. So we could be talking about hundreds of these chronic drunk drivers who are still getting out of prison considerably early. And as I said, the Department of Correction says because of COVID-19, the prison admissions are down. And so the wait time to get into a prison substance abuse program is even shorter. In theory, you could have people getting sent to prison for three years, four years, five years and still get out within four or five months if they get into a substance abuse program immediately. So uh, that's not what Representative Ott says he intended. He wants to fix that. But because of the time lag, this could still be happening for the next couple of years. And we'll be watching to see not only how often it it happens, but the question you raise, Amanda, I think is a good one. What is happening to these people who get out early? How many of them are going back and reoffending? And how does that compare to those who serve their full three or four year sentence
1: well and I'm interested too in hearing more about how these treatment programs in prison work because 10 to 12 weeks of treatment it it if you have a substance abuse issue it, it takes a lot longer than a couple months to reckon with that and you know what I what I hear from a lot of people who have been through these programs is look these people are getting out eventually whether it's one year two years, three years and they're going to be in your community. So what kind of treatment are they getting and what kind of effect does it have? Does being in prison for longer mean they are less likely to
0: reoffend? I want to say this. I did talk to the ACLU briefly about this because the, the ACLU of Wisconsin has been adamant that the earned release program in general, not just for substance abuse, but the earned release program for prisoners is important and that it should be funded. And they have in the last couple of years put out calls to members and to friends saying, let the legislature know this is really important. Let the governor know we need to keep funding this. So I asked them, how they feel, particularly when you start looking at the idea of the demographic makeup of those who are getting into this quickly and getting out of prison quickly, did they have any concerns? Their response to me was, we feel strongly about earned release, we just don't know enough about this slice of it, this particular part of it, so they declined to talk. and, and I don't know if that's just a matter of this being so new. I, I don't know that a lot of people are looking at this issue and, and may well be that they just didn't feel informed enough to make a statement. But it seems to be the kind of thing that if you're interested in earned release, but also interested in making sure that everyone's getting a fair crack at it, that might be the kind of thing they'd want to talk about for this story they chose not to. I do think it's the kind of thing that a lot of people don't pay attention to. But what I think will really draw attention to it, unfortunately is if someone commits their 7th, 8th, or ninth or 10th offense, gets out of prison in six months, and kills someone. That's when people will start asking questions. How in the world did a 10-time drunk driver get out of prison in eight months? And that's when the real uh, you know, attention to what's going on here will happen. That's what Judge Borowski says he's concerned about. It's what Representative Ott says he's concerned about, is that we have to wait until one of these early releases results In an untimely death, Uh, because, as he said, maybe three years in prison doesn't solve their lifetime of drunk driving and their alcohol problems. But at least, you know, for those three years, they're not on the road.
1: Well, and I mean, that kind of gets to the heart of what the issue is in. Wisconsin, right? The, the criticism of the way our laws work is that a lot of times you're basically waiting for tragedy um, before someone is experiencing any real consequences. Um, and it sounds like that's that's the concern with what's happening here.
0: Number one question I get when I do these stories, number one question I hear from people is how in the world do people even get to a 10th offense? This is how. If you're serving three or four years at a crack, it's a lot harder to get there. But if you heard the opening to this podcast there's one gentleman who's recounting how how old he was when he got each of his offenses you know i was i got the fourth at age 20 the fifth and sixth at age 21 i got the eighth at age 29 my ninth now at 34 34 years old has nine offenses so people ask how is that possible well when you serve six months on a seventh eighth or ninth offense that's how
1: thanks brian we know you'll stay on it we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of open record on tuesdays and thursdays if there's a topic you want us to discuss an issue you think we should investigate please send us an email at the investigators at fox.com
0: and thank you to the people who make this podcast possible producer pete Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith, and please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson, and we'll be back with our next regularly scheduled episode of Open Record on Tuesday.